This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of January the 9th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, in our first episode of 2023. Not much has changed, of course, with the turning of the calendar page. We're still concerned about the pace of inflation and the potential for recession. They've already cast a pall over downtown's Salesforce Tower. On Wednesday, the global tech giant revealed in a brief regulatory filing that it planned to lay off about 10% of its employees company-wide. The reason, in a nutshell, Salesforce hired too many people during a recent period of massive growth, and customers now are cutting back on spending in the uncertain economic environment. And speaking of uncertainty, those of us in cities with a significant Salesforce presence were left with many questions since Salesforce declined to provide any more details about the layoffs than what was in the filing. The company has about 80,000 employees worldwide, about 2,300 of which work in Indianapolis, where its operations are based in the Salesforce Tower. Although the company is about as high profile as you can get in Indianapolis, with its signage atop a 48-story building in the center of downtown, I think a lot of folks are only vaguely familiar with what the company does here and why it's an important part of our technology ecosystem. After our reporters did some digging last week, I thought it would be important to bring you up to date on what we know so far about Salesforce's plans, which the company says, somewhat cryptically, will include shrinking its real estate footprint. It sounds ominous for downtown Indianapolis, which, of course, is still trying to recover from the effects of the pandemic on its urban workforce. I'm joined by Susan Orr, who covers technology for IBJ. Thanks for taking some time today, Susan. Sure. Also with us is Mickey Shuey, who covers real estate for IBJ, among other beats. Good to see you, Mickey. Thanks again for having me. Okay. So Salesforce is a really interesting company to me. It's a global company with nearly 80,000 employees worldwide, or I should say that it had 80,000 employees before the set of layoffs. It's very brand conscious. Soon after it entered the Indianapolis market, it arranged to get the naming rights for the largest building in Indianapolis. Thus, the Chase Tower became the Salesforce Tower. But I'm willing to bet that if you're not a client of Salesforce, you probably don't know what they do. Susan, what do they do? Uh, Yes, and don't feel bad for for being confused because uh, I think there's a lot of software companies like that. They're solving for problems that the average individual does not have in their daily life. So some of these things can be a little obscure. Uh, But Salesforce, in a nutshell, they're they're an example of what's called customer relationship management software, or in the industry, they call it CRM. And just sort of as a fun fact, uh, Salesforce's uh, stock ticker symbol is actually CRM. So uh, it's a a well-known acronym in that industry. Basically, what what CRM software does is it allows a business to manage their customer relationships. So they are collecting uh, information on what customers have purchased, uh, any times they've been in contact with the company, what their interests are, that sort of thing. So if you think about decades ago, this information 
uh, you know, the sales uh, organization might have had Rolodexes or notebooks with things scribbled down and different people had different pieces of information. Uh, so with Salesforce, you can kind of put that all in one place so that uh, within a company, your marketing people, your salespeople, your customer service people sort of all have access to the same data on the customer and it it helps companies be more strategic and, and aligned in how they're interacting with their customers. What does Salesforce do specifically in Indianapolis? Uh, Indianapolis is home to Salesforce's uh, marketing cloud division. And uh, this division is specifically looking at what you would say is business to consumer interactions as opposed to um, B2B or business to business interactions. It can help, uh, the software can help uh, collect data from customers uh, from multiple sources, analyze it, um, create marketing materials, communications like uh, email blasts or social media posts or that sort of thing. And the reason that the marketing cloud division is in Indy and the reason that Salesforce is in Indy was uh, a lot of people may remember the name Exact Target, which was a uh, Indianapolis-based uh, email and mobile marketing company. Uh, Salesforce acquired that company in 2014, and so that's how they came to have a presence here uh, through that acquisition. In the way that I understand it, Exact Target was was kind of the core of the marketing cloud, but certainly since then, Salesforce has acquired other companies that so sort they've of added to the marketing cloud suite of of products or services. Right. I mean, that's that's common with with companies and, and especially larger companies. They're all the time, you know, acquiring or reshaping their offerings. And so Exact Target was was part of that. How many Salesforce employees now work in Indianapolis or uh, out of Indianapolis, I should say? We're not entirely sure. We tried to pin down a lot of these local uh, numbers the other day when the layoff news came out and we were not successful. We we think it's probably around 2,300 people. Uh, that that number would not include any number of layoffs. So 2,300, what it will be after the layoffs, we don't know. So let's start unpacking what we know then about this move from Salesforce, which it disclosed early Wednesday in a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. How did Salesforce describe this plan, this maneuver? Uh, in the filing, they, they uh, said it was announcing, they described it as a restructuring plan uh, that had the goal of reducing their operating costs, improving their operating margins, and helping them uh, with their commitment towards profitable growth. Uh, they, they described the action as a um, workforce reduction of about 10%. Another thing that, that caught our eye was they, they mentioned select real estate exits and office space reductions within certain markets, although they did not specify where that would be. Yeah, and they're all over the world. I mean, in many continents. Certainly, uh, they're based in San Francisco, uh, which is where, I mean, the largest probably domestic operations. And Indianapolis has been a major uh, base of operations for them as well. Yeah, I think uh, in a filing, I think they said uh, about just a little more than half of their total employees are U.S.-based. So was there any information about which employees might be cut, which divisions of the company might see the most cuts, or where they plan to shrink their real estate footprint? Uh, those were all answers that <laughs> we would have loved to have gotten, but uh, Salesforce uh, when we reached out the, to them the other day, they just all they did was they referred us back to the filing, which uh, described their plans in general terms, but it didn't give any geographic specifics. 
Now, CEO Mark Benioff had a uh, had an email that gave a little bit more information, and and you know a pretty serious mea culpa to employees. This email went out also on uh, Wednesday morning, and I, I think it was we knew about it because it was included in the the uh, SEC filing. And and what basically did he say there about the cuts? Uh, you know, the one thing that stood out to me is he, I mean, he did take responsibility. He said, we just hired too many people and we've got to cut back. And I, I take responsibility for that. And I'm sorry to the, to you employees. So, uh, he said in that, in that memo that, uh, people were going to start hearing whether or not they were cut as of that morning and, uh, notifications and the timing of the layoffs would start rolling out in, in the next couple of weeks. But if I'm a Salesforce employee, if I didn't hear from somebody in the first couple of days, I'm not out of the woods yet. I mean, it's my understanding is it's going to take them some time to really figure out how long they're going to or how they will call the herd. Uh, you know, they said in their filing that the um, uh, the restructuring actions should be, uh, in their words, substantially complete by the end of the um, 2024 fiscal year. So um, that generally means when they will expect to have executed all the cuts. So I, I'm not really sure about the timing of when people will know, but you'd sort of presume that if they're not losing their job until next year, they probably don't know about it now. <laughs> probably not. The employees who are terminated aren't leaving empty-handed. What do we know about the severance packages from uh, Mark Manioff's letter? Uh, yeah, and there's there's – to my eyes, seem like generous terms. I don't know how it stacks up in in the tech world, but they said people will get a minimum of uh, close to five months of pay. They would be getting health insurance, uh, career resources, and other benefits uh, to help smooth their transition. Uh, they also said that their non-U.S. employees would get uh, similar levels of support if they were let go. So break it down for us then. Why? Why does Salesforce say it needs to lay off so many people? Uh, well, like I said before, Benioff said, well, we just hired too many people. And one one common reason, not just Salesforce, but a lot of tech companies have bulked up in the last couple of years. And a big part of that uh, was that the market was so good and there was you know so much opportunity that companies were trying to grow. So that's one, one thing. Uh, the other thing is just the pandemic. Uh, you think about how much activity was was forced online and everything from like online ordering of your groceries to online streaming of, of what would have been a live event. And so a lot of companies uh, were really capitalizing on that and they, they grew to meet the demand. And now the demand uh, may be different because, uh, you know, just with the live events, a lot of live events are now happening again live, whereas none of them were happening live a couple of years ago. So uh, demand is just down for some of these things. Right. And uh, inflation is up and everybody's looking at the potential for recession. Right. And, and I think Benny F said something to the effect of, you know, our customers just are not spending as much money right now. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you're selling yourself as a service to a company, the vulnerability is always that they're going to see maybe they don't need your service or maybe they don't need as much of it. So, And and this has been, uh, this isn't just isolated to, to Salesforce. I mean, this is something that we're seeing, for example, with Amazon or with Meta. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Amazon is is a, another prime example. It was reported this week that they'll be cutting about 18,000 positions, uh, which is still a tiny, you know, less than 2% of their global workforce. But uh, this would represent the sort of the largest single round of layoffs in the company's history. And you might remember late last year, 
Amazon reported that it would be cutting about 10,000, and now it's saying about 18,000, which is a pretty significant increase. I should say that uh, from all indications, those cuts are going to be uh, corporate-based and not warehouse-based, because Amazon's main presence in Indiana is it's got quite a few fulfillment centers of different sizes. In in a story that I saw, uh, they said one reason that the warehouses would probably not be affected is that there's a high turnover in those jobs. So you don't necessarily have to lay people off. You can just wait a couple months and some of the people that are working there will have left. And so that's that's a less painful way to reduce your workforce if you need to. One of the, the things I gathered from your reporting, though, you know, while these layoffs are not necessarily unusual right now for tech, and the fact that you know the company grew quite a bit wasn't necessarily unusual. Uh, Salesforce grew a lot; their uh, employee base really exploded in recent years. What did you find out? Yeah, that that was one thing that really was surprising to me. I went back into public filings, and um, every year in their annual report, companies, one of the things they have to disclose is how many employees they have. As of the end of January 2018, uh, the company said it had more than 29,000 employees. Uh, four years later, in its annual report, it said it had it was up to more than 73,000. Um, so that is, you know, more than doubling your employee base in just a couple of years, which is pretty striking. Now, obviously, some of those were uh, due to acquisition. Um, you might remember that Salesforce acquired the messaging uh, platform Slack in mid-2021. So some of that was acquisition. Some of it was uh, organic hiring. But the bottom line is it's a much bigger company now than it was just a few years ago. Okay. So if I, if I do my math and I... Let's just assume that the local operations are reduced by 10%. So that's 230 people uh, out of 2,300. Uh, the Indianapolis tech ecosystem is far, far, far larger than that. There are tens of thousands of tech employees in the Indianapolis area, depending on how you want to define a tech employee. You know, from, from a number standpoint, this particular one, you know, doesn't seem like a killer. But it, it feels significant to me. I mean, partially because, you know, Salesforce is, you know, the big flag that we always fly when we talk about, well, you know, hey, we're, we're a technology city. I mean, we're big time. Uh, Salesforce is always the first name that's used. Give me a, a sense of, I mean, how significant, you know, this is for the Indianapolis area, uh, either just by itself or as, as part of this larger you know, trend that we're seeing. Or, I mean, is there really no reason to, to, to move up our DEF CON level? I'm not one that usually sounds the DEF CON alarm, but, uh, you know, it's not great anytime a company, especially a name brand company um, that everybody knows is is shedding employees. That's not a good thing. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a more nuanced thing. You think about people, not everybody that works in tech actually is an engineer or a coder. So some of the people that maybe do marketing for a company, they could maybe go do that at a, you know, a non-tech. So I, I don't think... The job market uh, locally still seems decently strong, so uh, it seems like people should be able to uh, find another job. And of course, it depends on what your skill is and uh, who's hiring. So it's a little hard to say. I mean, two hundred and some out of a, a much bigger pool. You know, when you look at it that way, it's not a ton of people. It's not ideal. You know, on the other hand, I, I think there are still tech companies that are really wishing they could find more people. And so, uh, you know, the availability of more talent 
could work to some company's advantage because suddenly there's, you know, maybe a couple hundred people that are on the market. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Okay, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast about Salesforce's plans to lay off employees and shrink its real estate footprint and what it all could mean for Indianapolis. So Mickey, let me turn to you. Uh, there is a real estate angle to the story too, since Salesforce's local employees, as we say, work in the Salesforce tower or Indianapolis-based employees. I mean, the, the big flag is on the Salesforce tower. So let's bring people up to speed on that situation. Are all of Salesforce's office workers in the Salesforce tower. I remember that when when Salesforce bought Exact Target at that time, uh, those workers were spread out among several buildings in, in the Mile Square. Well, first off, Mason, you know as well as I do that there's a real estate angle to every story, right? Yes, yes. As I've told you many times, Mickey, <laughs> everything is real estate. Yes, but but to answer the question, yes, all of Salesforce's local employees are based in that tower now. Back in early 2021, at the height of the pandemic, uh, some of those employees were still based in the historic Gibson building at 433 uh, North Capitol Avenue, but Salesforce has since decided that it no longer needs that space, so it's subleasing that. Uh, that building is owned by One America, and Salesforce has a lease from them, and then they sublease some of that to, to a group including uh, Maven Space. And, and a few others. I think Gregory and Appel is there now. And so really all of their workers who are going into the office are reporting to Salesforce Tower. So for the guy who just walking downtown, the man on the street looks up and sees a building called the Salesforce Tower, certainly could assume, oh, Salesforce owns this tower. And then, boy, this could be a big deal if Salesforce is laying off people. Uh, does Salesforce own the tower? It's a fair question, but the the short answer is no, it does not. The building is actually owned by an Oklahoma City-based company called Square Deal Investment Management, and they bought it back in 2021, early 2021, uh, for about $192.5 million. It's one of the biggest uh, downtown office building sales in the city's history. And, and really, Salesforce only leases uh, a portion of that building. It, it has about 250,000 square feet, totaling 13 floors. But the entire building, including the the property on Monument Circle, is well over a million square feet, and the the main tower is forty eight stories tall. So they they just have about a fourth of that space. And and to my memory, yeah, when uh, a few years after Salesforce bought Exact Target, it announced you know a deal to really consolidate a lot of its space in, into that tower, and they got the naming rights to that tower. And that in two thousand seventeen, they moved the the Chase name down and they moved up the Salesforce name. From a real estate perspective, why is it a big deal that Salesforce potentially might have maybe 200 or 300 fewer employees in the Salesforce tower? Well, the long and short of it is that fewer office workers downtown 
isn't good for a downtown area that's still trying to recover from the pandemic. Certainly, the city's made a lot of strides in that regard, thanks to conventions and, and some business coming back. But there's still not a consistent concentration of of all the employees that were here pre-pandemic that are back downtown now. We, we don't even know how many days Salesforce employees are required to go into the office right now. Uh, some may still be working remotely all the time. Some may work from home a few days per week. So that really spun up from an early 2021 model that Salesforce adopted uh, that gave way to a more flexible work policy that included in Indianapolis and gave more options to work from home or your local Starbucks or, or wherever. Yeah. And that's something that we talk about all the time. I and mean, we think about the really big office occupiers, if you will, in Indianapolis. We know that many of them, you know, let their employees, like we do, let their employees work from home at least part of the time. And so it seems like there should be a lot of people with too much space. What do we know about whether Salesforce has subleased any of the space in the Salesforce Tower? So I reached out to both Cushman and Wakefield, which is the broker for the building. It, it markets the space that's available, as well as uh, Robinson Park, which manages the property. Both of those groups declined to comment, but in talking with sources, it sounds like Salesforce for now, is holding on to all of its space, all 13 floors, all 250,000 square feet, uh, as it has not subleased any of that space and it has not put any of that space on the market yet. Now, certainly that could change in the coming uh, months, weeks, years uh, with their decision to to downsize some, but, but what that actually means for the tower remains to be seen. Now, as we say, the tower is downtown's biggest office building. It's the state's biggest office building. But the thing that really counts is how much of that space is occupied by somebody who's paying rent. So what do we know about the occupancy rate right now for the Salesforce Tower? So according to brokerage JLL, as of October, they had they had that the the building was about eighty one percent occupied, uh, which is which is really healthy for a large downtown office building right now. Uh, the The current downtown occupancy rate is eighty percent roughly 79-80%. And it's fair to say that even with that slightly higher vacancy rate than it's had in the past, uh, because it was closer to the the 10 to 15% there for a little while, the building is still prestigious. It's still one of the biggest, well, it's certainly one of the biggest, but the the most affluent buildings in downtown. It has an asking rate of about $29 per square foot. That is the highest among the 10 or so downtown office towers. Um, the average for those is about $26. So it, it's $3 more than, than what your average is, which is pretty good, especially as as you're coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. If you're talking about 250,000 square feet, that's a, that adds up. Now, I know that you had, had tried to get in touch with economic development officials in Indianapolis to kind of get a sense of, you know, how they're viewing this. Uh, what have they said so far? I mean, does it seem like, you know, everybody's hair is on fire or is this more of a wait and see kind of a problem? It's certainly more of the latter right now. They're, they all seem like they're taking kind of a step back, trying to connect with Salesforce, understand what's going on, but the they're, they're not raising their DEF CON levels either right now, as you alluded to with Susan. It's it's definitely a situation where 
they 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 want to figure out what's going on, but they know that there's at least a little bit of time given the 2024 timeline that you guys talked about before. That that said, they they're hopeful that they can retain a a strong dialogue with Salesforce. They uh, Portia Bailey Bernard of Develop Indie told IBJ in a statement that it values Salesforce as a community partner and that it's continuing to monitor the impact of these cuts locally by by continuing to have conversations with Salesforce uh, local officials and and national officials about what Indianapolis can do to to continue working with the company in the future. Whether that makes a difference in the long run, it remains to be seen. But uh, it seems, at least for now, that uh, local officials are are just monitoring the situation. And I mean, my impression is that I mean, it could be years before we know exactly how this shakes out on a real estate level. Uh, absolutely, it, it, even with the the cuts expected to be completed by twenty twenty four. Salesforce in its SEC filing said that it doesn't expect to have the restructuring of the real estate side of things done until the end of 2026. So that that's a pretty long time. Certainly not not long for a lot of leases, but but when it comes to layoffs and restructuring of real estate, that that's a pretty large window, three to four years. You know, as we. Uh Probably couldn't have imagined in December of you know 2019. A lot can happen over the course of three years, um, and you know I'll, I'll just put in a, a good word for the economy. You know maybe things will get better. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one other thing worth mentioning on this is that Salesforce is a very community driven partner for uh, Pacer Sports and Entertainment, specifically the Indiana Fever. Their name is on the front of the Fever's jersey. The name is on the practice court at uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. So it'll be interesting to see how that adapts as part of all this, uh, whether Salesforce pulls back on marketing efforts like that uh, locally or or even nationally, uh, given its prevalence in, in sports. Is, is this going to change that at all? Well, I know you guys are going to keep watching this uh, over the next weeks and months. And so we'll check back in a little bit and, and see what we find out. Definitely. Thanks for having us. My thanks again to Susan Orr and Mickey Shuey. And before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest print edition of IBJ that I want to draw to your attention. First up, Ashley Flowers of AudioChuck already has become a major national player in podcasting with her chart-topping series, Crime Junkie. Dave Lindquist reports that she's now interested in also focusing on publishing, television, and film opportunities. Also in this week's issue, John Russell examines the sudden cooling of the SPAC craze, with many fledgling companies shutting down and returning money to investors, while others trade well below their IPO prices. And Peter Blanchard reports that advocates of legalizing online casinos in Indiana have earned the backing of an up-and-coming lawmaker who has been tapped to chair the House Public Policy Committee. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or, of course, online at IBJ.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you are a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together 
with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, and now works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We will be back again next week.